Hi, welcome to the Cork Church Podcast. We're very glad you're joining us today and we hope this message inspires you, builds your faith and encourages you in the things of God. Enjoy the message. Thank you very much, Pastor Nick. Good evening, everyone. It's a pleasure to be here. Uh, This is our home away from home for Emma and I. Uh, This is the church, uh, but more than the church, these are the people who have had an influence on our lives, and we give God all the glory for that and all the thanks. Uh, Just Monday morning past, I had the privilege of spending some time with Gavin and just text him afterwards just to uh, thank him for that time. And just to remind him that if it wasn't for his and Judith's influence in particular, uh, I wouldn't be on this platform. Uh, I wouldn't be in ministry. And uh, so we just, we, we just thank God for that. Uh, nearly seven years ago, I stood on this platform about here. And Emma stood there as Pastor Stephen married us. And uh, so this isn't just me coming to preach somewhere. This is me coming uh, to another home to preach among friends. Uh, I was challenged a few weeks ago uh, in my own Bible reading. And what challenged me was I was reading through John chapter 20, and that's what we're going to look at for a little bit tonight. John chapter 20 tells the story, gives one of, well, John's account of the resurrection. And what struck me about it as I read is that for us at home, in our church at home, every single Sunday morning, we share the breaking of bread. We share communion together. Every single Sunday morning in life, we're focused on Jesus' death upon the cross, his love, his sacrifice, and we give glory for that. And yet what struck me when I read John chapter 20 is probably one, day, one week a year, maybe two, if there's a baptismal service coming up, we actually focus on the resurrection. And uh, then, so I've been praying, praying, preparing for this evening, and uh, God had put this message upon my heart, and then we came on Sunday night, we were sharing with young adults, and I discovered that Pastor Mike McBride was sharing on Sunday morning about the cross, There's some confirmation. And then a little while later, I heard that it was baptismal Sunday this Sunday. uh, That's what baptism is. It represents our uh, moment of faith as we echo what Christ has already done in his death and even more importantly, in his resurrection. So we just thank God for his confirmation uh, for this word tonight. Let's just pray. In fact, can we stand to pray? Father, we thank you, Lord, for your presence here. Lord, we worship you this evening for your faithfulness, for your goodness, for your mercy in our lives. Jesus, we thank you. 2,000 years ago, Lord, you didn't just go to the cross for us, which you did, but you went in full expectation and knowledge that three days later you would rise again and our hope for all eternity would be, would be, put, would be carved in stone even in our hearts and in our lives. And we want to give you thanks and glory for that tonight. Father, we pray for this word. We ask, O oh God, that you would minister to our hearts, speak to lives here today. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. Now, the title of my message tonight is Getting There is All That Matters. Getting There is All That Matters. When I was 20 and 21, uh, we were preparing to go on a couple of mission trips And before we headed out on missions, like most missions trips, a lot of work needs to be done beforehand for fundraising. 
So a few of us put our heads together, did some uh, bagpacking and Tesco's and all the rest of it. And then we decided that a good way to raise money would be if we entered ourselves into, as individuals, the Belfast Marathon. So for two years, back to back, I ran the Belfast Marathon. And it always seems like a great idea at the time. Uh, but what I've, th- what I've learned about running the marathon, we had a certain, a certain level of fitness wasn't great. You can prepare, you can eat the right things, you can train or, or not train, which is kind of what we did. Uh, you can get a, night, a good night's sleep the night before. You can hope the weather is good. You can uh, have a, all, the, all the gear on so that you look good, even though you haven't a clue what you're doing. And you can show up on the day. And then what I discovered was you begin to run. And you run like you normally do, as best as you can, until the point where it hurts. And then you find another way to run. And you run like that until that hurts. And then you find another way to run. Because when you run a marathon, 26.2 miles, there is one thing and one thing that matters. And that is the finish line. It doesn't matter how you run. But getting there is all that matters. In case you're wondering, uh, four hours and 38 minutes the first year, four hours 29 the second. I'll never forget it. Uh, yeah, why, thank you. Thank you. Uh, but the point of it is not how well I did or how absolutely average I was when I was running. Getting there is all that matters. Now, I want to read to you uh, John chapter 20. We're going to read uh, 29 verses, which sounds a lot, but just... Uh, bear with me because this is so uh, very important and we get this whole picture here tonight. Verse 1 says, Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Then she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved and said to them, They have taken away the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have led him. Peter therefore went out and the other disciple and were going to the tomb, so they both ran together. And the other disciple outran Peter and came to the tomb first. And he, so this is John talking about himself. This is the he here mentioned is John. And John, stooping down and looking in, saw the linen cloths lying there, yet he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb, and he saw the linen cloths lying there. And the handkerchief that had been around Jesus' head, not lying, in the linen, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded together in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who came to the tomb first went in also, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not know the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. Then the disciples went away again to their own homes. But Mary stood outside by the tomb weeping, and as she, wo- as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus had lain. Then they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have led him. Now when she said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, and did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? And she, supposing him to be the gardener, said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned and said to him, Rabboni, which is to say, Teacher. 
And Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my Father. But go to my brethren and say to them, I am am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene came, told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that he had spoken these things to her. Then the same evening, the same day at evening, being the first day of the week when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stands in the midst and said to them, Peace be to you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, Peace to you, as the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Now Thomas called the twin. One of the twelve was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said to him, We have seen the Lord. So he replied to them, Unless I see in his hands the print of the nails and put my finger in the prints of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. And after eight days, his disciples were inside again. And Thomas with them, Jesus came. And doors being shut and stood in the midst and said, Peace to you. Then he said to Thomas, Reach your finger here and look at my hands and reach your hand here. And put it into my side. Do not be believing, do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. But blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. May God bless the reading of his word to our hearts. Why I love this particular account. Uh, in John's gospel is it gives us the perspective of four people. All four were close to Jesus. All four had a personal relationship with him. And yet as we begin to look how he, he touches and ministers to their hearts and their lives after he is resurrected from the dead, we begin to see through each person's account and through each encounter that they had with Jesus that there are extra layers of truth that reveal themselves onto us, not just about what Jesus has done, but also about who he is. And so I want us to look at those very briefly uh, tonight. First of all, we're going to look at two together. It's Peter and John. We pick up the story with they have heard from Mary Magdalene uh, that the stone has been moved, that the body is missing from the tomb. And what do they do? They go running. They take off together and they start running as fast as they can, I'm sure. And they come to the tomb. John is the first one who gets there. He get, arrives at the tomb. The, the stone is indeed rolled away. The body is no longer there. But what does John do? He stands at the entrance to the tomb and he stoops down and he looks in and he sees that the body is not there. John looking in and peeking in. He knows the body is missing. He could have then turned and walked away with exactly the same despair that Mary Magdalene had as she ran from the tomb. But instead, he's lowered himself to look in. He's gone further than Mary did originally, but he's still on the outside looking in. Why is that important tonight? Well, I believe because of everything that's happened with pandemics and everything else. Thank God that here at this moment, churches have been able to begin to open. But it's so important for us that we're no longer like a John just on the outside looking in. 
I want to urge you tonight, if you're watching from home, thank God that you're tuning in and joining with us. But I want to urge you tonight, if in these coming weeks you can find a way to get to church, get to church. John came to the place. Jesus was no longer there, but it was the place where Jesus' life had been. I want to urge you, if you can, if you can't, do not worry about that. We thank God. He ministers to our hearts even when we're at home, when we can't make it, when we're at work, wherever we may be. He's speaking into our lives. But I want to urge you, this is the place that the life of Christ is. This is the place where you will come and be touched. I want to urge you to make the effort, if you can, to be here. No longer, don't be on the outside looking in any longer. We thank God. The book of Proverbs tells us this. It says, as iron sharpens iron. So one man sharpens the countenance of his friend. That means that he lifts up his face. He makes him smile. He makes him rejoice. You see, there is something that happens when we meet together and when we only meet together face to face, even if it's behind a face mask. There is something that happens as we meet together, as we're encouraged together, as iron sharpens iron, as we lift one another's burdens, as we hold up each other's arms, as we walk out this life of faith and of God together. Apostle Paul puts it like this, the Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. What he means by that is just the same as when we meet together. The Spirit that God has placed in me responds to the Holy Spirit to acknowledge that I am a son of God. So also when we come together, the Spirit that God has placed in me and the Spirit that God has placed in Pat or Pastor Nick or Andy or whoever you may be, it responds that we are the children of God, but also that we are brethren together. That's why I haven't seen some of you face to face for nearly two years, 18 months at most. But as soon as we get together and stand face to face together, it's like we've never been away. But my prayer now more and more since I read this is never let me be like John. You see, it's easy when we come in and when the worship's happening, we can still be a John. We can still be on the outside looking in. We can see, well, people are being touched and the worship's good and the music's great. And thank God for that. But I'm still carrying everything of what I've been carrying today. I'm still struggling with the issues of life. But I want to be in the place that every time I come through those doors or another church door, I am ready for what God has for me. I don't want to be a John on the outside looking in. I want to be a Peter who gets there and he goes straight in. He enters straight. There's no hesitation. There's no holding back. There's no waiting just to see how this pans out. Straight in that's how I want to be. And so Peter gets there after John. He arrives and he goes straight into the tomb. That's how he gets there. Goes straight in. And by going in, it's only when he goes in, he sees, first of all, all of what John already saw outside. But from his perspective, that's only part of the story. It's not until he goes in that he begins to see the full picture of the resurrection. He begins to see the full picture of how this thing has unfolded. And he comes in and he sees the garments that Jesus' body has been wrapped in. And they're lying there where his body lay. But he doesn't just see the garments that are left. He sees one particular garment which paints an entirely different story. Mary Magdalene had come and she, co she comes running to Jesus, supposing he's the gardener. Where have you laid him? Where have you laid him? As if somebody may have stolen the body away. That was the fear. 
But when Peter goes in, he sees that there, this body has not been stolen. This has not been a rush, but this is all by design because he looks to the side and there he sees that the handkerchief has been folded and nobody, when they break in to steal something, ever leaves something that they're taking folded neatly and gently. Nobody who does anything in a rush takes time to take the handkerchief and to fold it, but this is not a rush. This is the plan of God. This has been orchestrated from before time itself began. This is the plan of salvation and the resurrection unfolding for all the world to see and for all eternity so that you and I, no matter who we are, no matter where we've come from, that we can come to the resurrection the same way that we come to the cross. Doesn't matter who you are, doesn't matter what your life's like, doesn't matter who your family are, doesn't matter what your qualifications are. We come unworthy, unfaithful, undeserving, and we find him who is faithful and worthy and deserving, and we go all in because he went all in for us and we worship him and give him thanks because the Bible tells us that your life, the life that you live, the job that you do, the family that you live with, the relationships that you have, all of those things are our reasonable service. They are all an act of worship and all of the glory for everything that we do, just like it was for Christ when he raised from the dead, it's all for his glory. It's all for his glory. And we thank God that he chooses the weak and those who aren't wise to do his, his work here on this earth. You see, Jesus, his resurrection and the handkerchief is proof that he does everything in order. I was sharing on Sunday night at the Young Adults and part of what I shared was we, I had a very brief synopsis of, of Aaron, who was the, the, the high priest for the Israelites, for the Jewish people in the Old Testament. And I began by, uh, a part of it I looked at uh, how Aaron would have walked through all the different parts of the tabernacle. And don't get me wrong, there are some parts of Scripture, some parts of the Bible that aren't the easiest read. When we read through how uh, God gave instruction for the building of the tabernacle or for the building of the temple or even for, uh, for Noah building the ark, we see that God does everything in detail. But that can be difficult to read. It can be a long old hog, a long slog to try and read through that. But when I read those passages of Scripture, there's one thing that I keep coming to, and it's this. You see, when you read about the tabernacle and the temple, you see that God had his hand and he orchestrated everything down to the fine detail. And then when you read in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul says, now that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. And what lifts my heart is that when I read the tabernacle fittings and everything else or the, top, or the temple, what lifts my heart is knowing that the same authority and the same planning and the same precise nature that God has for the tabernacle or for the temple, he also has for me and for my life. He is in control of everything. Everything that comes my way is preordained by him and God is working in all of it. I love what Pastor Tim Delina says. I heard him once speaking about prayer and he says we get so frustrated sometimes when we're praying for one thing and it's not happening quite as quickly as we hoped it. And what he said was the, the unfortunate thing about getting impatient is that God is working out 1,000 things in the background for that one thing to come to pass. God is working out 1,000 things in your life and your family's life so that you could even be here tonight. That's how precise he is, and he doesn't make mistakes. Yeah. 
For as verse 9 tells us, for as yet they didn't know the scripture that he must rise again. In Matthew 27, verse 63, it tells us that the chief priests and Pharisees came to Pilate to ask for a guard over the tomb. They said, sir, we remember while he was still alive how that deceiver said, after three days I will rise again. Where's the deception now? You see, the thing is that Peter and John had heard Jesus say the same thing, but it hadn't sunk in quite as yet. And yet here we have the religious leaders who were pure religion but had nothing of faith. And they are the ones coming to Pilate and saying, we need to be careful about this body here. But there came a time for Peter and John. You see, the difference for Peter and John and the, and the religious leaders at that time was that it's not enough like the religious leaders to believe that this resurrection is a historical fact. That's not enough. If we accept it for a part of history, that's important, but it's not enough. You see, what, what differentiated Peter and John from the rest of the religious mob at that time was their faith. Their faith. Because now they come in and by faith they are believing. By faith, that verse that they had heard so many times before now becomes a reality in their lives. Because Jesus, through grace, reveals himself to, to them as the resurrected Christ. It's my prayer tonight, if you're here or if you're at home, wherever you're watching, if you're not a Christian, my prayer tonight is that you fall into the Peter and John camp rather than the religious leaders. That you open your heart to him by faith and by faith alone, and he will reveal himself to you. Peter and John believed. Even though they doubted at the start, they believed that's how they came. For Mary Magdalene, we see that she is weeping. She's completely consumed by grief. She arrives when it's still dark. But whether it had been daylight outside or not, her heart is still in darkness. She arrives in the dark by the time she's leaving the tomb. By the time she gets to the disciples, daybreak has broken. And yet, even though it's, the sun is shining and everything is as it should be, as it seems that day, she's still in darkness in her own heart. She sees as she comes to the tomb and she sees another one who stops at the door and bends down and looks in. And there she sees two angels, one of probably, I would say, maybe 10 to 12 people in Scripture that we know of who spoke face to face with angels and here we have this beautiful picture as Mary's now standing having a conversation face to face with an angel like you or I would have. And yet her talking face to face with angels is still not the most glorious thing that she's going to see that day. Because she comes from where she meets with the angels. And as she turns around, there's Jesus. You see, her perspective when she arrived was they. They have taken away my Lord. They have laid him elsewhere. But Jesus comes to change her perspective. It's where for us as Christians, we all were. We, 
Some of us never even read the Bible. Some of us had. But it didn't matter. When we encountered Jesus, he changed our perspective. Because that's that's the place that we need to get to again. We need to keep coming back to the place again and again and again where he keeps changing our perspective. Because too often our perspective gets so caught up and so uh, wrapped up in ourselves and our lives and why aren't things working out. And yet Jesus comes and one encounter, again, whether it's our first encounter with him or our thousandth encounter with him, and he comes and changes our perspective and points us always to himself. I shared on Sunday evening, one of, I think, the most beautiful pictures in Scripture is Moses standing at the burning bush, and God gives Moses the instruction, go to Pharaoh, tell him to let my people go, and Moses presents nothing except excuses And one of his excuses is he returns and replies to God and he says, who am I? Those three words, God's response, he turns turns those three words on its head and he says, I am who I am. What he's saying is, Moses, it doesn't matter who you are. When you have me, you'll have everything that you need to go to Pharaoh. You'll have everything that you need to lead my people. You'll have everything that you need to cross the Red Sea. And so we have everything that we have need of in Christ. And we worship him and give him thanks. Jesus comes to change her perspective and he asks her, well, why are you weeping? Well, we already know the answer to that. And then he says, whom are you seeking? And through the blurred vision of her tears, she doesn't recognize him, supposing him to be the gardener, when in fact he is the gardener. He is the true vine and his father is the vine dresser. And then he says the one word that will change her life and change her perspective forever, Mary. And he calls her by name. And I, just, I, I can just picture in my mind's eye her face blotchy, the tears still flowing down her, cheeks, her, down her cheeks. And then she says, Rabboni? Because she knows as soon as he says her voice, she knows. As soon as he says her voice, the, the, the blurriness of vision is gone. The darkness has dissipated. And instead she sees her Christ whom she loves. Her Lord and her Savior standing face to face. Jesus said in, in John, 20, uh, John 10 verse 27, My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. And I give them, the eter- I give them eternal life and they shall never perish neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. For my Father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one, no one, no one is able to snatch them out of my hand. Jesus says, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, my God and your God. And now she comes running to the disciples again. She tells them, I have seen the Lord. She came in darkness. She came in despair. That's how she came. But it doesn't matter how you get there. Getting there is all that matters. It doesn't matter how she comes. Getting there to the resurrected Christ is all that matters. She started with weeping. She's weeping because in that moment she's still living at the cross. With the cry of Jesus, it is finished. Death was the end of the work. But with the cry, he is not here, but he is risen. Life begins. His death and resurrection is not death and despair. It's victory and hope. 
The cross has dealt with our past, but it's the resurrection that delivers our future. She comes with weeping and grief, and she leaves with the assurance of heaven. One of the hymns that we sing in our church, one of the greatest hymns ever written, the part of the verse says, Lifted up was, with an emphasis on was, he to die. It is finished, was, with the emphasis on was, his cry. But now, in heaven, exalted high. Hallelujah. What a Savior. What a Savior. And finally, we come to Thomas. Thomas has missed it. All of it. He's literally missed everything there was to miss. Thomas has missed all of it. Mary coming to the disciples wasn't there. Peter and John going to the tomb wasn't there. Mary coming back to the disciples, seeing Jesus as he, he shows himself, reveals himself to his disciples. He missed all of it. But just because he had missed it doesn't mean that Jesus was going to miss him. You might be here tonight and you may have missed him. But I want to tell you, just because you have missed him, it doesn't mean that he has missed you. His death and his resurrection is for all of us. For all of us, none of us uh, can step outside of that and say, well, that wasn't for me. And we, it, there's, <laughs> we picture the scene that the disciples are meeting in this house again. And Thomas comes in and he closes the door behind him. And now the disciples are there, but Jesus isn't. And yet Thomas is going to see something as Jesus reveals himself to him that here we are thousands of years later will we'll change our perspective on who Jesus was and what he did. Thomas and the disciples are in the room. And here's the beautiful moment. Jesus comes in, even though the door's closed and the windows are closed, Jesus comes in and appears in the room. You see, he's spirit enough to come and reveal himself in the room. But according to Mark's gospel, he's man enough to eat fish inside the room. You see, what made Jesus was unique, what made Jesus unique wasn't just the fact that he died and rose again. It was the fact that he was spirit and he was man. He was God, fully God and fully man, the only begotten of the Father. That's what made his death and his resurrection different. That what, that's what guarantees deliverance from our sin at the cross. And that's what guarantees and delivers our hope for the future in the resurrection. It was him and him alone. And Christ reveals himself to be what he is. You see, we'll finish with that. Doesn't matter how you get there. Getting there is all that matters. Didn't matter for Peter and John who came running. Didn't matter for Mary who came crying or for Thomas who came doubting. Doesn't matter how you get there. But getting there is all that matters. And I want to tell you, as a pastor, as somebody who's been a Christian since I was just a, a kid and then rededicated his life as a, as a teenager and walked with God since then, I know that I need to keep getting back to that place. It doesn't matter how I get there, but I need to keep coming back to that place of the resurrection again in my own heart, full of faith and understanding that he has delivered all of this for me and he has delivered all of this for you. We need to get back to there. And the beautiful thing about it is that we come to the resurrection the same way that we came to the cross through nothing of ourselves, through nothing that we could bring, but we are wholly dependent and reliant upon his grace and his mercy and his faithfulness in our lives. 
and we come to the resurrection again and we say, Lord, even though I can bring nothing to you, I thank you that you gave everything for me so that when you rose again, it was your life that was being given for me. And we worship him and give him thanks. And so maybe this is just an opportunity for us, whether we're not a Christian, whether we are a Christian, that we come back to the resurrection again. We come back to it knowing that our place in heaven for all eternity rests upon that hinge, rests upon that door of the resurrection. It's our access, it's our hope for the future, and it gives us confidence because the same power that raised Christ from the dead is now the same power that is alive in you and I to bring us to completion the work that he himself has started. And we worship and give glory for that. Pastor Nick. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. Thank you, Tim. Thank you for such a wonderful exhortation tonight. For those of us that are here, those maybe new a little bit, and are hearing this, uh, this incredible invitation from a preacher. It doesn't matter what condition you find yourself in today. You might think that you don't qualify. You might think, I don't have enough confidence. You might think all sorts of things about yourself. I've just you know, been going on the wrong road for too long. It's too late for me to turn. All these things that can fill your head. I just want to tell you, this is an overture, an invitation from the Lord to you tonight to take that step and now step into that place where you can look at that resurrected Christ. You know, it's funny because as you are sharing that, I was thinking about Thomas earlier on in John 14. He's, he always pops up and he's always the one asking the hard question. The Lord, Thomas said, we don't, know where, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And I don't think he said it very nicely. You know what I mean? He was always a frustrated sort of character, you know, the ornery one. You know, everyone thinks it was Peter, but it actually was Thomas. Thomas was always the questioner. You know, and you know, in a group of people like even tonight or any group of people, there's always one there who's got at least 1,000 questions. And, and there was, that was Thomas. And Jesus told him, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, Thomas. No man ever comes to God unless he comes by me or through me. Tonight, you're hearing this is the gospel that has been preached for 2,000 years. No other name, no other person, no other mediator, no other standard. Uh, there is no salvation in any other name under heaven given among men, but at the name of Jesus. And I encourage you, if you are a Christian, be one wholeheartedly tonight. Don't withhold anything from the Lord. He's given everything for you and for I. He's laid down his very life's blood for us, friends. He suffered some terrible indignation and viciousness against himself because of us. So give yourself wholeheartedly to him. Don't withhold anything in your life tonight. And if you're not, if you're not born again, uh, if you're wondering if you're born again or not, if you're wondering, then you're not. I want to tell you right now, but you can be in a moment, in an instant in history. You can simply, by faith, and by faith, what we're extrapolating, you can enter into that tomb and see an empty tomb tonight. And you can come outside and meet a risen Jesus. And you simply, where you are, call upon him. Do you know I just struck me, Tim? Every single generation has to relive the story. We know that Christ physically died once, and that's all. He's not sacrificed at every mass. We know it's once. But every person is confronted with him. You have to go through the storyline. Every one of us have to make the call, like, do we want Jesus or Barabbas? Do you understand? Every one of us put him on trial. 
Everyone puts him on trial. In every generation, everybody puts Jesus on trial. What say you tonight? Guilty or not guilty? Lord and Savior or deceiver? King of kings and Lord of lords are a lunatic. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And my commendation to you is to give your life wholeheartedly to Christ. Repent of your sin. Turn to God. Ask him to forgive you. Ask him to come in. And the promise of the scriptures that he will instantaneously, at a moment in time, revive you through the power of the Holy Spirit. You will be owned by him and known by him. Let's bow our heads tonight and pray and ask God for those who are here and those who may watch this broadcast at another time. Father, we pray as you stir hearts, as you draw men and women unto yourself. As you said, if I be lifted up, I shall draw all men unto me. And so even tonight, Lord, we know every Christian here in this room tonight knows you are drawing hearts to you. Because that is your work, Lord. Not that we loved you, but that you loved us. Not that we sought you, Lord. We sought our own happiness, our own way. But you sought us and you came to us in your kindness and your mercy. And for those, Lord, who are hearing, who are being drawn, I pray that even right now many will see, many will fear, and many will put their trust in the Lord, and that they will be truly born again from heaven. They will follow you wholeheartedly, Lord, and live with a sense of great purpose and vocation the rest of whatever life is left. We will pray for this, Lord, and for ourselves. In Jesus' precious name. Amen. Thanks for tuning in with us today. I hope you were blessed. Make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Cork Church. Also, make sure to like and subscribe to our YouTube channel. If you have any questions, you can email us info at corkchurch.com or just check out our website www.corkchurch.com. Again, thanks for tuning in and see you next time. God bless.